Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and Emmys, and welcome to Warrior Death Show's second stream covering the case files of Jeweler Richard. Oh, and happy Friday while we're at it as well. You know, it's the weekend once again, and thank God for that. I'm a boy clink, to clink. <laughs> too right. I'll be going out drinking tonight and tomorrow. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's appropriate. This episode does indeed feature alcohol and questionable life choices and meeting people, you know, who don't quite live up to your previous standards and expectations. Okay, that last one admittedly is not happening as far as I know. Snap. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yes, we're going to be covering episode five of Jewel of Richard. Uh, I believe it's called the, what was it? The Opals. I had this up here. The Opal of Encounters. Which, yep. I mean... Opal I, encounters of the third kind. Yeah, the last time I heard that term was when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yes. DM just I'm said, pretty like, sure that's roll... an item you can pick up in Icewind Dale. <laughs> exactly. Roll the Opal of Encounters to see what you end up with. And you're fighting the Dark Lord of Shadows! And no, welcome, yes. Yeah. Welcome to your demise. But I've just I've just come out of the, the tavern and I'm only wearing my underwear and a wooden sword. <laughs> no, look, the Opal of Encounters is said... Yeah, you know, that's it. The decree's been set. You're done for. Sorry. Tough shit. Who wants to play, uh, you know, Risk instead? <laughs> Me. Anyway, Me. anyway, uh, you know, we've rolled for initiative on this particular podcast, so let's just get underway by firstly talking about this format in case you happen to not be familiar with it. So, oh, Wait se- a minute. Who who are you? I don't who, think we've even said who we are yet. Oh, I'm a nobody. You know, I'm just some random. Yeah, but you're, you're correct. Same. You're correct, of course. You know, I'm, I'm I'm leaving out the most important part of the, uh, you know, the <laughs> podcast, telling people who we are. In much the same way, you know, every time I fill out my social security forms, I leave out my name. You know, that's, that's not going to cause problems down the line. Uh, but anyway, yes, I'm Shaden, and joining me from across the pond, but close to my heart, is the subtle doctor. Uh, hi, everybody. I-, I promise I'm not as unenthusiastic about this show as I probably sound. I'm just sick. Damn. Damn. Well, hopefully yeah, this hopefully but... will perk you up then, Doc. Well, well, I mean, I'm, again, I may not sound it, but um, my feelings about this episode are quite good and strong, and uh, I-, I liked it quite a bit. Good, because I thought you were about to turn into a Crunchyroll commenter then, and we don't want that happening. <laughs> This episode did not have enough of the bisexuality. <laughs> oh, good God. I mean, I've just got to ask, like, you know, have you at home been suffering the signs of Crunchyroll Commenters Syndrome? Things like uh-huh. incorrect spelling, punctuation, rampant misogyny, and adverts for bit cha- for Bitcoin. <laughs> you oh, know. yes. That, all, that all, last all, one. all of those things, yeah. Um... <laughs> Okay, so, second stream. How what did is, you know? How, how can I possibly... I mean, you're the doctor here. You're the one who's meant to be diagnosing with people, not me. Although, you know, I only got my degree in quack medicine. So, anyway. From the, uh, from Untitled Goose Universe. Oh, wait, no, that's Honk. I've gotten that all wrong. Eh, honk. You went to quack you. Honk, honk you is a different school. It's the expansion pack. But anyway, uh, so, second stream, what is it about? Second stream is kind of like, you know, our corollary to our, you know, regular stream of thought. But rather than going into detail about the plot, we go straight for the talking points. The big meaty stuff, you know, like the ideas, themes, you know, things that the episode, you know, gives to us. Beyond simply just recounting Cliff Notes Wikipedia, you know, summary kind of thing. So, uh, we, however, of course, are not alone in this endeavour. We have our wonderful patrons giving us questions to tackle on this particular episode. Uh, so, firstly, thank you all again to our wonderful patrons for actually putting so many questions forward to us to cover this week. Like, if nothing else, Jula Richard thus far has been quite, you know, rich in terms of, like, getting community discussion going, at least on our own little group. So, I'm always appreciative of that. And, indeed, do keep them coming as we go along. 
So, uh, first off then, this one comes in from Navy Sharub and says the following. Uh, he's not this time, I should point out, talking about Crunchyroll commenters, but I'm sure that we'll encounter them again, those wily rascals. <clears throat> anyway. <clears throat> I'm going to look them up now uh, while you're reading, just for fun. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Is this going to be like an ongoing thing now at this point, where we just constantly, I... you know, read out Crunchyroll comments in silly voices without naming the individuals involved? I, it It might have to be. Man, we're going to start, like, reading some Nazi shit out, though, and it's just going to not be fun anymore. I, I worry, like, how deep this rabbit hole goes. But anyway, while Doc's, you know, uh, dipping his toes in the septic oh, tank that oh. is Crunchyroll comments. Yeah, <laughs> that didn't take long, did it? I found a great one. That didn't take long, did it? <laughs> no, the top comment on the uh, the page as I as I look at it is, um, It's not Yahweh, this is a bromance. Bro to bro moment. I Okay, so Navy's question, because I can't <laughs> process that. Segi's whole arc has been about self-sacrifice, and this week he was finally shown straight up how that might not be the best strategy. Do you think this paid off in the way it should have? Hmm. I'm going to say yes, but I'm also not going to pretend it could have been ha- handled better overall in terms of like the episodes we've had thus far. And when I say that, I think it's more because if I have complaints about this episode, I feel like it follows the common thread I've said about the other episodes thus far, in that too much is happening too quickly and there's not enough meat on the bone. Now, that's not to say, you know, the episode is, or the show even is boneless, so to speak. But we kind of seem to go very quickly between events in this episode, like to where it doesn't feel like, at least until the end, that is, that what is happening to say he's allowed to truly sink in. And I, again, wish this episode had been a two-part, much the same as with the others. Um, but overall, I'm going to say yes. Um, I'm going to say they did pay off in the right way, because mainly because of one line that Richard utters at the end that I found very interesting, which is that he says he's, after, you know, all has been said and done, and, you know, he's giving, say, he lift home through the rain, and say he's very upset about what happens in this episode... He says to him something along the lines of how it's his desire to always help people that he finds very admirable. But note the specific word there, the desire. It's the desire in question that Richard admires, but the execution perhaps not so much. Indeed, that has been noticed before that Sagi should not be going all in necessarily on helping people all the time. He needs to, like, you know, restrain himself a little bit. And I think that's a very fascinating way of looking at, you know, the, the, the niceness and good nature of some people that... Much in the same way, you know, as how anxiety can overwhelm one's thoughts, like, and you have to take an active mental block, if you will, in stopping it from getting worse. The desire to go so far to help others can in of itself be kind of pathological. And it's not, you know, a bad thing per se to be that helpful or to be, you know, to want to do that kind of good stuff, but rather that it's not always appropriate to do so. And again, much in the same way as trying to mitigate anxiety overwhelm you, Perhaps sometimes taking a step back and thinking, are my actions in, you know, helping this person or going out of my way for them really in either my best interests or theirs? Like, do you know, is this the right thing to do? So I appreciate that nuance that came from Richard. And in turn, like, I think that, you know, Seiki himself has come out on the other end, not only just like, you know, having learned from this, but also recognizing that, you know, for all that he had his former senpai, who's now become a of a twat if i may be so honest uh he <laughs> he in turn has realized hey you know what that was then and this is now and i have new things now that i and new people in particular new relationships that are worth nurturing it's not necessarily you know 
the end of the world. I don't need to be so hung up on it, necessarily. Okay, so... My take on this question is that I disagree with uh, David's premise here. Um, I don't think that the show was trying to show that self-sacrifice is not um, the best thing. I think it was trying to illustrate the idea that um, moral goodness and short-term self-interest are not always uh, a package deal. Hmm. That doing the right thing... Uh, is not always uh, something that feels good. It's not always something that pleases everyone. In mm. fact, it can anger people because because it's so difficult that a lot of people opt out of it, and it can be alienating. Um, and as Richard said, there you know, uh, jewels that shine the brightest draw the most envy from people. Um, mm. There's there's like petty jealousy and everything, and and that is what I think that the the show was was trying to get across that um you know it, it's trying to be uh i think it is deeply anti-pragmatist when it comes to its morality um because it's and this is getting into a little bit deeper than what david is saying but you know that conversation in the car um reminded me a lot of episode one because you have um these different characters that are thieves stealing jewels from other people but for like these su supposedly good reasons and you know we're trying to figure out if that matters a lot and also Segi is like being like he's flagellating himself because you know he's not saying um he's not saying what I want to do is the wrong thing he's saying I he's saying I want to help people, but the reason I want to help them is what's flawed. That's what's wrong. My motive, the fact that it's not again a morally pragmatic show. It's not saying, well, do the right as long as the right thing gets done, it doesn't matter why. It's saying like actually why matters a lot. Hmm. And he's crying because he's saying the only reason I want to do the right thing is because I'm afraid of disappointing people, and that's what's that that's what's wrong with me. And Richard, who, you know, by the end of the episode is, like, he has become the cool senpai, right? Who fucking karate master uh, used to be or was idolized to be mm. in Segi's head. Richard is now, I feel like, he's he's the actual cool senpai that one should admire. But, but he tells Segi, um, you know, I don't think that's true what you're saying. I think, you know, deep down... Even though, like, at some point along the line, your desire to help people, yeah, it can get your motives can get mixed up with your desire to to like please everyone, um, and kind of do the right thing in terms of like what society dictates. But really, deep at the root of it, you want to help people, even in the darkness, because as a little boy, no one was there to help you, and you want to be that for other people. I think is the implication, and. And so that helps Segi. You know, he's saying your motives at at bottom are pure, and that matters. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, uh, to circle back around to my first statement, like, I, I don't think it, like, the payoff is there because I don't think, I, I don't agree with um, David's assessment of what the show is trying to achieve. I think it is trying to say something different, and I think it does succeed at saying that, that... Um, 
yeah, that that moral goodness is is uh, really fucking hard sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I hear you on that. I I think like a lot of this show's messages, it's saying that it's not black and white. Really, there are moments in which one indeed, you know, self sacrifice from a person that can be a very noble act and can be, you know, painful to go through, certainly, but, you know, worthwhile in the end for all parties involved. But there are other times when, indeed, you know, that self-sacrifice is ultimately to the to no one's benefit. Certainly not to, you know... I mean, in Sagi's case, like, you know, had he uh, gone along, like, you know, and not intervened with um, uh, his senpai trying to sell that gem, um, it wouldn't have helped him either in the long run, I would have argued. So, yeah, like I appreciate the nuance this show's getting in here. Like about, <clears throat> I don't think it's I don't think it's interested in benefit at all. No, I think that's an answer. Like whether or not people benefit is, I, I feel like, and maybe I'll be proven wrong here, or, uh, but I feel like whether or not people materially benefit is of no consequence when it comes to oh um when the to clarify right thing and the wrong thing to clarify when i say when i speak of benefit i'm referring to more into like you know of one's how shall i say um character you know to make them a better person right okay okay like psychic benefits yes we'll say not of not benefits not material, of the soul uh-huh uh-huh yeah because like if if segi would have you know minded his own business or whatever then like uh Hatasan and the lady who gave him the jewel would have potentially been hurt. Like, so mm. I mean, there was there was a negative consequence on the line, and th- this fucker of a senpai would have, like, I mean, I know, like, he says he wants to help his family or whatever, but why should we believe him? He's been well, lying the whole episode. Well, you know what's <laughs> funny? Um, this is one of those instances where I actually think the abridging of the of the episode works in its favor because. There's always that age-old rule of television, which is show, don't tell. But I think there are times when the opposite is very true if you apply it appropriately. And I think this works yeah. here. Because we have, apart from one moment in this episode where we just see him rescuing the lady from the fire, but we otherwise have no, like, how should we say, privileged um, observation, if you will, of events that say he doesn't have knowledge of in turn. We only, <clears throat> for 99% of it, have the information that he in turn is told. We're very much on his level in terms of what we know about the events. And I think that works very, very well in this episode's favor to help, you know, give us that same sense of uncertainty, ambiguity, and leave us, you know, to draw our own conclusions rather than operating from a privileged position where we Uh know that, you know, Hassan has done that awful thing or, you know, he legitimately was told he could have it. Uh, By the way, if you want my moral uh, perspective on this, if you have... If you're in a or rather, if you're in a position of you know trust where you care for someone in a professional medical setting, as Hassan was, and let's say you know you have an instance where I think Hata is the is the lady who whose aunt was the gym. I don't know who the senpai's name is. Uh, I've already. I apologize. I'll just go with his senpai. So say senpai. Yeah, we'll say we'll say karate master. Kar- king, of king, king of destruction. <laughs> king of destruction. Yeah. What does he yeah. think he's a fucking Dark Souls boss? Come on, man. <laughs> um, but the point being, I think if you're in a position like that where you are, you know, in a professional medic, or even just generally rather, never mind professional, where you are caring for someone who is frail and elderly, and as is noted here, you know, maybe not entirely and consistently aware of their surroundings. Even if she had given that, genuinely given him that opal, 
you know, said, and, and I'm not talking like, you know, in a moment of confusion, I'm talking as in she absolutely meant it, and were she younger and, you know, not suffering from dementia, would have made the same decision under the same circumstances, etc, etc, etc. Even if all of that were true, I would argue he should have still gone to, her, you know, her niece and mm. get said, hey, this has happened, I was given this. How do you feel about it? And hey, if they say, you know what, you've done such a great job of looking after, you can keep it. Yeah, why not? I don't see any. Sure. Pro- I don't see a problem with that. But conversely, the fact that he didn't actually run it by any of them, like again, as you say, we are told that his family, are, you know, are suffering. But like going straight for the fire opals to steal for that. No, I I feel that's going way too far. And certainly, you know, I have to think to myself, hey, if again, that was genuine, he'd run it by and say, look, I wouldn't normally accept this, but my family is in very dire straits and the money from this could certainly help me, you know? But also I should know, yeah. he lies about his family in the episodes yeah. is because he pretends that Seiki's grandma is his own. So we have no reason this to... This is, yes. Like, I think it was Maya Angelou, I believe, who said... Uh don't um don't necessarily believe people when they tell you who they are believe it when they show you and this episode he does nothing but like lie and then when he's caught out he retreats to a different lie to cover his ass like the entire episode so why in the end should we believe him when again what he's saying is a similar sort of like like ah i'm gonna do the right thing like, when he just, like, fed some bullshit to Richard about doing the right thing that was a lie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hey, he should have become a fictional author because he's really good at spinning a yarn. I know. I know. Yeah. And and look, just because me and you might think, like, we're outside of the show, right, that, like, let, let's say he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And his, his uh, parents are uh, in some financial trouble and his sister is in college or whatever. Um. Let's say that, you know, we think no matter how those people acquire the money, it's fine because they get helped and that's good. Like, I think in the universe of the show, again, if you believe what I'm saying about, like, motive matters and moral reasons matter just as much, if not more, than, like, uh, outcomes, pure outcomes, divorced from those reasons, then, like... The family benefiting from like sort of, I mean, blood money is not the right phrase, but you understand what I'm getting at. Money acquired by illicit means. I think the show would condemn that. I think that's bad well, in well, the eyes know, of the well, show. You know, you know what's ironic? Um, <laughs> his senpai like says, hey, you know, my grandmother like, you know, gave us me. Now, remember the actual true story of what happened with Sadie's grandmother, how she stole the ring in that very first episode to feed her starving family. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and yep. you know it brought her nothing but suffering as a result. So you know it's funny how that comes around again. That even though he appropriated that story for his own ends, the actual truth of that story, as we know, does apply to him more. It's kind of it's kind of crazy when you Gosh. think about it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong here, right? Like, because. If all the grandmother got was suffering for doing the wrong thing for the right reason, I don't know. Maybe that blows my theory up, but I'm not sure. I'd have to think about it a lot and, mm. and have to look at the show as a whole. 
Yeah, but I think the show has also said a lot of times throughout its run thus far that wealth in of itself is not, you know, the means to end. It's for the ra- the reasoning behind why you yeah. do it that matters. So that's, that's why. I, so that's why I think that you know, for all that he has that reason there, that it's not enough of a justification in itself. Um. Okay. So thank you very much for your question, Navy. We're going to move yes. on to three questions now from Kate Rose. Uh, Kate's first question. What do you make of Richard's girlfriend comment and the blushing moment in the car at the end? Is it all just wholesome friendship or is Seiji in the middle of a love triangle? Well, it's like the Crunchyroll commenter said. It's just a bromance. They're having a bro moment. Dudes. Like Michael Bay, you know? It's dudes. It's like, like Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger, man. Oh, good the bro God. handshake. <laughs> what an amazing reference. I love that. Well... If I may expand on your question here, Kate, like, I think what would be interesting, moreover, is if Seiji himself is aware of it. Like, I mean, at this point, mm. I think it's clearly obvious that he has the hearts for Tanimo. I don't think there's any doubt on that. And he himself is aware that he's attracted to her. Would you agree with that, Doc? It's not a question of what we think, but rather what he, see, what thinks, he thinks himself. I mean, he does say, for example, like, you know, no, yes? not yet. When you know yes. Richard asks, yes, if he... he does say not yet. Yeah, so, so he think... clearly he clearly has intentions. Yeah. He's not a very self-aware guy, but I think I I, th- I think I agree. Hmm. So what I'm then curious about is if if he is aware that he might end up being by and in turn you know being interested in Richard as a result. Um, I would argue that also though, like the thing about love triangles is. I mean, we've covered love triangles before in Macross, but, like, the question we have to ask ourselves is, it, you know, is each line of the triangle reciprocal or not? And does that matter in the term, terms of defining a love triangle or not? Because it could very well be that, in you know, Seigi is into Richard, but is Richard in turn into Seigi? Who can say? I, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to go on that suggests that right now. Yeah. I believe that Richard may have some sort of burgeoning feelings um mm. of attraction and admiration intermingled for him but he's the sort of person that like he would cordon those off and, oh very much so you yeah. know what i mean like he's very professional and they're like poking through his defenses every once in a while but like he's using that to try to like you know help segi because Segi's super down and depressed mm. um but yeah i think he would definitely at least for now he's gonna hold that back um as much as it could be again starting to starting to grow and germinate um but yeah i don't i don't i agree with you that i'm not sure segi is aware um of the sort of glowing way that he talks about his boss (laughs) indeed yeah and the funny thing is the more i think about it like you know segi has said many times out loud how openly i he admires, like, Richard's, for example, beauty and also all the other elements. But one thing I've noted is I don't think he, until this episode, he's ever actually openly referred to Tanimoto, like, to Richard. He has and, not. No. And that's very interesting to me. Like, you know, he says one thing, but does he really mean another? Maybe it's not a love triangle at all. Maybe his affection for Tanimo is only because, as has been noted in other episodes in this very show, uh-huh. what society might dictate uh-huh. a boy like him should be into, shall we say. I should yeah. have a girlfriend. But... I bet I bet mm. Richard knows Tanimoto. Oh my, you you know, I, I'm still I'm still wagering like all my, you know, non existent e money, if you will, <laughs> on the fact that when Tanimoto finally meets Richard Sage, he's going to be there like, oh, she's, he's going to steal my girl. Or rather, I, she's going to steal my guy. 
<laughs> I bet he already knows her, though. Like, because I bet they've been at the same gym shows before. They, I'm willing to bet that if if that's the case, I don't think they necessarily know each other by name, but rather... She, no, no, like, no, yeah, I agree. Like, I'm going to say parasocially. Like, maybe he knows her, but she doesn't know him or something like that. I don't know. I feel like um, something about the way when, you know, uh, Segi said Tanimoto and Richard goes, huh, Tanimoto? Like, uh, just something about that made me think he knows a Tanimoto and he's fishing to see if it's the same person. Mm-hmm. Could be totally uh, wrong there, but yeah. Indeed. <laughs> As for the girlfriend comment, like, I think that, you know, Richard probably at this point knows Segi better than Segi knows himself. So even though Segi does have, you know, an understanding he's attracted to Tanimoto, I think Richard, like, understands best than him the end goal of it. So maybe he didn't, He maybe he knows well that they aren't dating, even though he's never met Tanimoto, potentially, but he knows, like, what ultimately, you know, kind of relationship that Segi would want with her. And that's why he's, like, trying to use that to tease more out of him. So that's my feeling on that. The blushing moment. Um, I can read this one of two ways. Um, I can read it exactly as Kate suggests, which is that it is a moment where, you know, as emotionally vulnerable as say he is, like he recognizes a bit more of his own potential feelings towards Richard and that time. You know, often often that happens, you know, like when you've been distraught, like, you know, someone that you're quite close to, like, and maybe even attracted to, like, you know, helps you out in the bind, like it just makes you reaffirm that even more. It could also, in theory, just be as simple as, you know, he's just upset and that's why he's blushing. I don't know. Um, I think that, for me overall, my appraisal of Seiji's, like, feelings towards Richard, if he has them at the moment, are that he probably doesn't quite yet understand them. In much the same way, I should know, as how, you know, do you remember um, Uenoyama from Given? How could I forget? How could we forget? Um, so, think of it in, I'm thinking of it in those terms, where... Indeed, much yeah. the same. Also, do you remember Uenoyama's actual discussion with Akiko? Like, but I thought, mm-hmm. you know, this was diff- odd or unusual. You know, like where he start. I can't remember the specific conversation. It's been quite a while since we covered Given, of course. Yeah, but yeah. there was that one that he had where you're like, it's unusual, isn't it? And the answer, of course, is no. It's um, not unusual to be loved by anyone. Da-da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> so... I would be very interested to see how that plays out. Indeed, maybe, you know, we should then compare it to Given and how it handles that if it does go full bore on Richard and Seige. Who can say? Um, But yeah, I think that what I would like to see is that if if there is a love triangle, I want Seige's own opinion on it as he becomes aware of it. You know, that would be interesting to see. All right, next question from Kate. Cast your judgment, or rather, cast your judgment. We're going all Judge Judy up on this shit. (laughs) Uh, Was Hase-senpai a good guy or a bad guy in the end? Guilty. Bad. Yes. I'm going to go yes on this one. I mean... I mean, is he a bad person? Who the fuck knows? But he's making, like... He's clearly, like, cultivated some pretty bad habits and is making bad choices. Yep, I would agree. I think that... Even if we take his, you know, backstory of, hey, my family's in dire straits as true, the means in which he's going about to try and solve it are despicable. I actually do wonder now, or rather wish, um, that the episode had actually given a value on that opal. Because I think that would have made the point of what he's done hit home all the more. 
because I honestly have the feeling that whatever debt his family may be in, that fire opal is probably worth substantially more than what would be necessary to solve their immediate problems. And I wish that had been elaborated on. But then again, that might also take it away from the ambiguity of it. Mm. Yeah. I'll, le- I'll leave That's that for you. Th- mm-hmm. I'll leave... I'll leave that for you folks in uh, in our Discord and whatnot to have a have a back and forth on. But ultimately, I am of the opinion that it's not like, you know, firstly, that we have any presented evidence of that. And secondly, if it really was the case that his family was so starving and such, why would he not tell Seiki about that from the beginning? Why would he not, like, you know, tell him straight off the bat, like, I'm looking for a jeweler, and, you know, Seiki goes, oh, uh, why is that? Uh, well, it's because... I, you know, my family's like in really dire straits and I have this gem to sell off. To me, that speaks that he's obviously, you know, got something to hide. And it could be that he did indeed take the jewel, you know, without it being given to him legitimately. Yeah. I mean, I could see why you wouldn't bring it up at your first meeting in, you know, a decade or something like that. But to be fair, though, say you did mention his his grandma had died. No, totally. You're totally right. Um, and I think... so, the, so the plane. I understand what you mean, though, Doc, and that you wouldn't necessarily bring it up. But I think that say he had leveled the playing field at that point, if you follow, to allow yes. such a thing to be brought up. A- after that was, um, after that line was uh, crossed in the conversation, I feel like it's fair game to be vulnerable. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and, oh, by yeah, the way, speaking dude of was fun- super shady. Yeah. yeah, speaking of vulnerability, I still can't get over seeing Seiji drink beer. I just can't. Oh, yeah. I mean, how could like if you said to me that he drinks a giant flag and a beer, I would have said, "Nah, I don't buy it." I can't. I can't picture him in my mind, given what we know of the character, as a beer drinker. He strikes me as someone who would drink spirits or possibly uh, flavored alcohol, like you know, Alka Pops. I can't see him being a heavy beer drinker. But hey, fair play to him. You know, he's got bad taste, than I expected. All right. Uh, do you? Let's see. Uh, Kate's question number three. What do you make the of the use of Richard as a plot device this episode? What does think, she mean here? Yeah, let's hash this out. What does plot device mean? Well, I think for me, like, you know, in this one, Richard really... Like, we don't learn much more about him as a person. He's, like, driving events forward, um, testing the characters, both um, Hase and Seigi. And I think that works here because... On the one hand, I do think he is overly critical of Seiji again when he says, like, you know, hey, uh, you could have been quicker in bringing the drinks through, even though, you know, he could have perhaps intuited on that. That, hey, why would he have not come quickly? You know? Um, I'm overall I'm overall okay with it. I think that he does have some great lines, particularly in the car ride scene. Like, I, yeah. for example, love the conversation where, and this, to me, by the way, really rings true of how you should react to moments like this, where, you know, Say he says, man, if I sold his drug- drunks again, I'd give him a box of cakes. And Richard says, nah, give him to me instead, which in of itself is good banter. Uh-huh. But it's true that you shouldn't reward, you know, the people who lead you to a chance encounter, which is indeed the motif of the episode. Uh, you know, rather you should be, you know, cultivating and enhancing the relationship you already have, particularly in uh, circumstances in life which they met where they weren't doing him a favor necessarily, at least not as they saw it, you know, in the... Uh, at least with Richie, like, in, like, hassling him on the street. Um, and again, Richard's knowledge here, you know, comes in very handy, as always. Um, hmm. What else do you think, Doc? What else do you got in mind for that one? I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I, w- I wasn't asking you a leading question in terms of what she... I, I genuinely don't know how, uh, like... 
how is he a plot device? To maybe I'm just being thick, um, not intentionally, but like what? How is he sort of different this episode than he is in other episodes? Hmm. I'm I'm not too sure. Um, you have to elaborate in the Discord, uh, Kate, and and we can either touch on it in a future pod or just answer it in the in the jeweler channel. Maybe he's a robot. Maybe he's a literal plot device. I mean, he did finally change clothes for the first time in a month. I mean, my God. Unless he literally has, like, you know, ten of the same suit. <laughs> I buy That's that. like, the first line in my notes is, Richard changed clothes! Good God almighty! He has a different tie. Unbelievable. Insanity, honestly. I like uh, this suit better, by the way. He looks fashionable in all of them, but yeah, this one does look better, in my opinion. I like that cream color jacket. That's uh, that's spiffy. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you very much for your questions there, Kate. As I say, if we, if we get some elaboration on uh, what it means for Richard to be a plot device, we'll certainly uh, follow that up in our Discord. Uh, finally, uh, this one comes from GoGo Atomic Robot. Does Richard ever actually make any money? Um, and we also have uh, we also have a second <laughs> yeah. question that I think yeah. we should cover at the same time, which is Ayala's question: When is Richard <laughs> ever going to sell anything? Man. Um, <laughs> Ever. I, I like to imagine. I like to imagine Richard, career. Yeah, I was going to say if Richard's getting wealthy off anything, it's from something we will never ever see. He will only ever reference it like candidly, off like uh, offhandedly rather, uh, in, a, in a one moment. And he's uh, like a Gucci model. Man, I, I don't think it'd be something like that. I reckon he's doing something like you know, working in theoretical physics or some shit like that. <laughs> He's doing he's something completely. He's doing something completely unexpected. Like you know, <clears throat> he could be a therapist actually, given how, given what he's been doing. But yeah, I maybe I means is why I said before. Like maybe he's doing blockchain. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> That's yep. Yes, See, that is exactly. Have right. you ever heard of Bitcoin? <laughs> this Segi. is Let's this talk about is the most. This is the most precious gem of all. <laughs> this is. More value, <laughs> more valuable than any gym, cryptocurrency. <laughs> yep. And on top of that, it has a uh, you know when he says like you know this is the most valuable gem of all, uh, it's Ethereum. He just puts down a pen drive on the desk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he's like, you know how gyms are a mirror into the soul of a person. Cryptocurrency is a mirror into the soul of the world. <laughs> but but rich but Richard didn't the value of Ethereum collapse on the stock market this morning? Let's not quibble about the minor details. <laughs> He's just like, oh, so it did. Damn. <laughs> Excuse me for a moment, I need to jump out of a window. <laughs> mm. But um, to answer this question more honestly, like, I I think, again, to tie in with the idea of the show thus far, that wealth is in of itself, you know, uh, secondary to meaning. I actually think that Richard is not even necessarily interested in making money. Now, that's not to say he doesn't want to be, you know, uh, financially solvent, but rather I think for him, like, the fascinating thing about looking at these gems is also their histories and also talking about them. He's essentially cultivated a safe space for him to do that in as a jeweler. So if he isn't making money really from doing a tranja, I think that's because he probably doesn't need to because he has the necessary finance to do it, but moreover because that's not the point of why he does the business anyway. Um, think of it like if you've ever seen an antique show, for example, where you have someone 
come in and say, hey, this is my, you know, like priceless China vase or whatever that's been handed down my family. And then, of course, the host will go, well, how did you get a hold of this priceless China vase that's been handed down your family? And then what follows is like a five minute discussion. Like interesting stuff in of itself, of course. Um, but I think that might be why Richard is, uh, you know, not so fussed about making money. So much as he is just like, you know, getting to know people through gems and also just enjoying the history behind them for its own sake, perhaps. Yeah. Although, I mean, as much as it feels right now like it's a passion project, would you be surprised if at the end he was like, I actually hate all this shit. And like, mm. I grew up inundated with it. Like, my family, who I hate, but I can't escape it. It's the only thing I know how to do. Well, he did say, he did say you know, like, that his beauty has been a, a burden for him in the past. And I've speculated on how, like, if say he's like you know this uncut gem that needs shaping and molding into a proper form, if you will, to get the best out of it, Richard himself is like you know someone who's at the end of that process that may have gone awry in certain respects. Speaking so, of uncut gems, oh, listen, are we bringing up? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> you so and sos outside of the United States, you all get to have this movie on Netflix. Not <laughs> us. The Netflix original movie not streaming on netflix here because of reasons and license yeah. deals and uh, fuck <laughs> really want to watch that movie i mean parasite just came out this week in the uk it's taken fucking months and i'm gonna be going to see that fairly soon so you know what the, the film industry sucks just in general just leave it at that like it's all uh, shit every part of it um but anyway uh, do you have anything else to answer that doc maybe on a more serious note perhaps being a jeweler is something like being a realtor in that you have a lot of uh like uh not failures but like i guess false positives or whatever in terms of sales but like maybe like one out of ten hit but the the hit is so profitable and lucrative that you can selling expensive cars yeah yeah uh that kind of thing yeah i can see that it would give them a lot of latitude uh, because i mean in fact, if I may, hold that thought. I'm going to Google cost of a ruby. Fire opal. Let's see. Okay, uh, according to this that I've just Googled here from gemsociety.org, in 2015, a top color 25.59 carat ruby sold for over 1 million US dollars per carat. Uh, clean, very good color retail 10,000 to 18,000 US dollars per carat. So, yeah, um, Richard could sell probably maybe three gemstones and be set for a year. He doesn't how need much, to be doing uh, it every week. How much Bitcoin would that would that get me? Ooh, that, that is a question. Uh, I don't feel I should answer that because I know full well that the it would change day on day. Like, you know, that how bubble's many... bursting. How many high-end graphics cards would I have to buy and run simultaneously to get that much Bitcoin? Oh, man. Can you imagine if, like, all of Richard's, like, you know, cake store, if you just emptied out, it was just tons and tons of PC towers? <laughs> Why is it so hot in here? <laughs> I thought you were, like, smelting diamonds, but no. <laughs> you just have uh, server racks of random PCs, just graphics cards a-churning. <laughs> Man, I you you know full well a Trandra isn't carbon neutral. <laughs> Richard, Richard is the cause of climate the change in Japan. <laughs> Fucking killing it. Oh. He's a Captain Planet villain. 
Uh, anyway, uh, thank you very much, everyone, for throwing your questions in there. Uh, do feel free to, you know, uh, ask us more if you want in the Discord about this episode now that we've covered them on the podcast. Ask us to elaborate. We're always happy to have a conversation and a dialogue going. Um, so, yeah, definitely get on that. If you're listening to this live after it's gone, you know, free, you know, to roam the wilds of the internet and you'd like to get in on the action of asking us questions about episodes on Second Stream, do feel free to check out our Discord. Get yourself on, you know, the $3 tier or higher. Um, to actually be able to ask us questions. $5 are, um, will allow you to, you know, get our second stream on Jula Richard as we do it week on week. Plenty of other great benefits as well, including the ability to request us to cover particular anime if you're interested, and also to shape the future of second stream by deciding what we cover season on season. So plenty of bang for your buck there. Um, please don't give us Bitcoin, though. Uh, I know that that's way too... Like, Bitcoin <laughs> here isn't in yet. That's no. the point where you basically, you know, get me to, you know, do your chores for you and shit. I can quit my job. All right, so talking points, you and I, we need to now come up with our own stuff to talk about. And indeed, I have some things I want to mention. Um, Yep. The first thing I want to talk about here is I actually think this episode was surprisingly well-directed above and beyond the usual standard of this show. And also with a lot of really neat visual tricks. Um, The door slamming? Well, there's that. Um, but there's also some other stuff. Uh, blocking, in particular. So when Richard and Hase are, ha- are hashing things out, if you will, in the discussion, um, the second time around he comes, um, there is, of course, the seats that they're, the chairs are sat on, um, and the coffee table. And the way that this conversation is framed is we see the window as a dividing line between the two, with both of them set against the background of, like, the... Um, columns between the windows showing the divide between the two which i thought was really neat could never go wrong with blocking like that uh see also when uh hase leaves uh Segi's like you know it shows like the close-ups to their shoes but also pointing out that they're walking in different directions now so that's another neat little mm, visual to nod yes and next up the big thing for me this episode like it is about a fire opal so it's actually very fitting how much it emphasizes temperature we get no less than three different scenes that are meant to signpost like times of day, but also changes in temperature. So after the first time that Seigi, like, you know, learns that his senpai might not be on the up and up, uh, we find the temperature has dropped. Things have cooled between them. But then when they meet again, you know, at the conclusion of the episode, things have warmed up again according to temperature gauge. Not much, mind you, a couple of degrees, but still there has been that, you know, change in their relationship and that is reflected in the weather. Uh, secondly, Note also that they attend the barbecue uh, where they go drinking. And the second time around that they are there discussing it, this is the point where Sei has some notion that, you know, Hase is uh, bent as a dog's back leg, to be honest. Like, the sizzling of the barbecue, like, is the undercurrent of the tension between the two, which I really, really like. Like, temperature plays a good part in, like, you know, enhancing the mood of the episode. So, yeah, a lot of lovely little directional touches in this, and also that whole temperature thing going along with it as well, which I thought was really, really neat. I mean... Senpai, your goose is cooked. Like honk, honk. this, Like this meat on the plate that is going uneaten, because I'm sad. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. Every time, every time I see a barbecue, like, you know, that you grill at your own table like oh, that... Man. It just makes me so hungry. I, I mean, want you, it so bad. <laughs> I mean, you and I you and I had that problem when we watched MMO Junkie, and I'm just there like, why am I not actually God. there? I mean, there is there is a place like that in Manchester. It is ludicrously expensive, sadly. It's not like, you know, something you're going just for casual yeah. lunch, Yeah, which is a I'm shame. Sh- <laughs> That's why I'm sure there's a place like that in Nashville as well, but uh, I haven't even bothered looking it up because I'm sure it's really expensive. Hmm. 
So, yeah, um, good on the show for, like, having these little, like, you know, texturing moments to help sell what's going on and help build on it. And also just tie in with the idea of the fire opal itself. That's pretty neat. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is really um, observant of you to to figure all that out. That I feel like that's really cool. Like, um, a lot of competence and just kind of a value add to what I thought was already a strong episode in terms of the writing. Um, so let's see. So, uh, I'm just going to go chronological on my talking points. Cause I have a number of things. Um, Sagi, Sagi, Sagi. Why did you have to try to demonstrate the karate? Like, you know, wh- I've got another, I forgot wh- that there's another, there's another really neat point to this. Um, I might be reading into this really heavily, so I apologize if people are going to say, whoa, you're, you're reaching as high up as he is with his fucking kick. Because that could be true. But think of it this way, right? He's trying to imitate his senpai, but he ultimately can't do it. Because his <laughs> senpai has now turned into, you know, this <laughs> this bed bastard. Right, right, right. Again, pushing it, perhaps. That is reaching, I admit. But come on, this is a sh- like much in the same way as we said about Kabucho's show. This is a show about, like, you know, the finer details. Shit is in here for a reason, you know. That's why I like to believe anyway. Well, I just think the move in this situation, Segi, you naive little babe you, is you just go, yeah, maybe. Or maybe I'll show you sometime if you're a real <laughs> jerk. But, like, you just you, you play it off, and you're like, sure. Uh, but you don't have to, like, get up and do it. And if she says, oh, get up and show me, like, that is like a fun thing you can laugh about and maybe you do like uh i don't know you say later or do something that's not so strenuous there's like so like he's just so eager to be like yeah let me show you this highly difficult kick in the middle of a fucking public place <laughs> well hey we've got we've got what more material for the uh we've got the more material for the perfectly scr- uh, cut screams uh, twitter account you know <laughs> it's true that's a really good example um, um and uh so i already we talked about the fact that richard changed clothes finally um incredible uh and so what did you think about like you know uh maybe this is what kate meant by richard being a plot device how um you know he saying he's telling richard the story of the king of destruction and richard is just like well sometimes in life when you really want to meet someone, the universe lets you meet. And then the next scene, the senpai and he meet. Like I, I the thing is though, the thing is though, I actually there was actually a moment where that dis- was disarmed for me because he said, Our next client is here, and I was like, No, no, please don't let it be the actual senpai. So I'm glad at least they like, you know, um, uh-huh. deferred that just a little bit. But I think this is also again an issue with the show feeling very abridged, because there is a, ne- a moment later on that I really thought that's incredulous. That's some nonsense, which is when Hase leaves the first time around, um, that lady's niece turns up not like maybe <laughs> so 30 serious. seconds seconds later. And I get the I get the very strong they impression. Each other in the street. <laughs> yeah. I really get the strong impression that maybe in the novel there was much more time, like even not necessarily literally stated time, but more time on the page to like, you know, an intermission, if you will. Um, that would have dispelled that, but all I could think was, how the fuck did they not bump into each other? <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean, yeah. this episode is entirely about you know contrived like you know meetings, which 
do happen, by the way, you know. So if they anyone do. wants to, they if do. anyone wants to, if anyone wants to bitch about like how the hell did these people bump into each other, like that happens. I mean, are you going to shit on this episode and then not also do the same with your name? People fucking love that film, and that film is built entirely on contrived bullshit. So come on. <laughs> I know, and like so, and I feel like there's a balance. Like the show is not trading in like these like statistically improbable events you know Mm. what i mean it's like they do one and even in the same episode it's like well it's not storybook because it turns out he's actually kind of a sleazebag yep (laughs) so um all right what's 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 next on your list all right this is actually a criticism uh and i know that this is the point where you know our patrons start howling and they start coming to get me with the pitchforks and sarches the show has been pretty consistent with linking the gems that appear in each episode with their owners. But I don't think that this time it works. And I'll tell you why. Did because, it even try this time? Well, it's well. there was the mention by Rich about how the gem, if not handled properly, will lose its luster. Do you remember that? I do. I just... I guess, yeah, no, you're right. I guess that does um, is meant to reflect the senpai's, like... Uh, soul or his self or whatever i guess i was just thinking of it as like yeah yeah i don't know but go 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 on and i'll try to collect my thoughts the the issue i have with this is a fairly simple one i understand the metaphor here that you know it's meant to be a reflection of his soul as you say like you know his moral sensor that you know the thing that made him burn so brightly in Sagi's eyes has now faded away i get that but the gem isn't his he hasn't had it for very long it doesn't feel like, you know, there's a start point and an end point in that gem's lifespan in his possession that's been long enough to, you know, make that work. It's not like, you know, that he started high and fell down um, and the gem faded as a result of that, but rather the act of stealing the gem itself was the point he fell, if you follow yeah. me. Yeah, you're right about it not being... Well, I guess, like, it's... <laughs> possession is nine-tenths of the law, Shadon. So it's yeah. his for now. <laughs> it, it is. But, but like, I get what it, you... No, 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 I get what you mean. It's like... Um, it's leaning more on the old um. Uh, God damn it! I wrote it down. Um, what is it? Kainohi, uh, Kainohi, Kainohi. Uh, that the old story, rather than like the gym itself and its properties. Sort of conflating those two to yeah. reflect him. A question for you, by the way, about that. Do you think that that story was something that also actually didn't happen in reality? Or rather, I mean to say that he read it up after the facts as, like, you know, a, a fitting narrative. Are you talking about Richard made it up? No, not Richard. The, the um, Hase, like, the, it's a, the story's real, but that he appropriated it after the fact just to fit what was going on. Oh. Because um... it does fit too cleanly, but bear in mind, he's, too, he's already one for one on, like, you know, stealing someone else's story to fit his own agenda. I don't, I think it's something he, that, um, I don't know if if I, I don't know I don't know I don't think that there's like um determinate evidence to point either way so I could I could believe either that the lady told him that because she's familiar with that old story and wants to reward him in that way that's very on the nose or I could believe that he made it up hmm who can who can say all right so yeah that's my point I think that the the link here is weak and the problem is that there's no real get out clause for that unless he literally had the gem beforehand anyway and then you did something like say with the cat's eye where he got a second one 
Or maybe instead, I suppose one could argue, in fact, here's how I would have done it. It's just hit me. So think of this way. Let's say he had this gem all along, like from, let's say he obtained it at some point after he stopped being in contact with Seiji, and it's been like his, you know, symbol, if you will, like, you know, keeps on a chain around his neck or something like that. And then what happens with the old lady is he doesn't steal a gem from her, but rather something else. Could be just simply be money. And that then is your downfall moment that parallels the fading of the gem's luster. Granted, you then have to invent a narrative for how he got the gem, and that in itself could feel a bit repetitive given what's happened in the show thus far. It It's murky, basically, but I feel like this side of it, where, you know, the gem is representative of him as a person needed to be more strongly linked to his downfall rather than being the perpetuator of it. It feels like, you know, putting the cart before the horse, if you follow my meaning. Well, I guess... <clears throat> excuse me. You could just believe he's always been a, a dirtbag. There's also that. Um, indeed, we'll get to that with Sagi in a bit. But yeah, just... It's a minor complaint, because I still think it works more as a visual metaphor for Sagi's own impression of him, which is, of course, different from the reality that we see presented here, how, you know, he sees him as kind of like a fire opal that then has faded over time and is now worthless. Like, you know, it's just a paperweight, basically. So <laughs> I, can, I can see it more working in that sense, but I think it could have been stronger overall. Um, I get you. I get where you're coming from there. Uh, and I think I agree. Um, I want to know how Sagi has lived this long like how is he still alive <laughs> has he not been run over or how? shot or kidnapped i mean <laughs> incredible he's like just such a meddler and such a like he will sort of assume a thing like he's like oh i have a take on this situation and then he will just run with it, like the fact that he was buying real estate. Yeah, I know. Like he for really his bro is just like, what are you doing? Like you don't even know. He said he wasn't getting married, dude. Listen, <laughs> jumping, yeah, jumping the gun there. Like I mean, even if he was getting married, like you, unless you're super wealthy and of yourself, you're probably not going to be able to buy a house simultaneously. Weddings fucking expensive yeah you yeah, know yeah so yeah i i am in agreement with you but funny enough like again i think this is part of Sage's development and it, by the way nice touch that <coughs> although this show is very serialized and in theory you can watch these episodes somewhat out of order uh, i like that they did the callback with the um the pink sapphire um that was a really nice callback i appreciate that so i think this is again another good lesson to learn like a lot of these shows, a lot of the show's messages almost seem like Aesop's to me, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the, they're not the most complicated of, like, lessons for how you live your life, but they're still worthwhile knowing. And I think that it's also very clear that the show puts a great emphasis on the nuance of approaching different scenarios. And in the case of, like, you know, say here, like, meeting his senpai after all this time... My only complaint with how the show handles this is not that it's putting the message across at all. I think that it's a very worthwhile one that you can indeed have someone come back into your life. I mean, let's say, let's say, for example, you have an abusive alcoholic father and they leave. You know, you get you get free of them after all this time and then they come back to you later on and maybe they have reformed for the bear. Maybe they've not. 
but the you know the show is asking not to necessarily make strong assumptions about that, but to operate on the evidence you do have. So I I did really really like that. Um, I also, by the way, really appreciate how naturalistically the dialogue was between Hase and Say because sorry not Say yeah uh, Richard when he's trying to con him out of you know buying the gem. Uh-huh. Because he really does play it like in the classic, you know, um, shifty kind of man way, where <laughs> when challenged, he then throws it back and goes on the offensive. Oh, it's because I'm Japanese, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like you think all that... of us are thieves? It crooks. Yes. Yeah. How dialogue very very naturalistic there. I really really like that. Um, I honestly don't have much else to say about the episode itself beyond it just simply working. Like it was effective. It got the point across. Um, Give Hase his credit, he did end up giving the gem back. And, you know, he quit his job as well because he knew it was a, you know, a breach of trust that he even did that in the first place. Even if, as I say, you know, the lady had absolutely legitimately wanted to do that, for the sake of transparency, he had to have put that past the family first. He's moved on to a a new grift. Oh, God. (laughs) I'll start a YouTube channel, Seiki. It'll be all about politics. Oh, no. I'm a liberal, after all, so I'm going to come at this in a a very, like, socially liberal perspective and talk about how everything is bad. Oh, my God. I mean... People will pay me. King, King of Destruction great. sounds like a crappy YouTube channel name, doesn't it? <laughs> I'll be it? on Twitch, and I'll be selling, um, you know, penis enlargement uh, pills blue chew for instance i'll be selling uh uh brain pills you know like pj dubs our hero Um, oh god mugs with my face on it that'll be a big hit um i don't know just generally so discord among uh far left online communities yep that's what yeah i see big money in it so i never want to see your face again Segi. so see you later don't subscribe to me by by the way, fair on Hase as well, because like, as as much as that hurts Seiji, I think it's an admission on his part that he does regret what he's done. Um, I basically, so. I mainly it's one of those kind of selfish kind of like I've done shitty things, so I must exile myself from contact with you. And Law knows again, funnily enough, that's also a fault of a lot of men who like you know fall into that kind of pitfall uh, yeah. where they fucks up. So I get that. Um, but yeah, I otherwise don't really have much to add. Like I oh I got pre- more. I appreciate that. No, in that case, I will chuck the floor to you, Doc. All right. Carry on, my man. So, um, interesting kind of line, I think, when uh, Senpai, at their first meeting, he and Segis, he tells him, uh, you know, you're still playing the hero of justice, right? You haven't changed since middle school. Hmm. Um, And I just wrote down, like, has Segi changed since middle school? Like, I wonder, like, you know, I, I think in some ways, no, but I think, and this maybe is, is, so I think some people might differ with me here on this. You know, I, I could see putting some kind of case together in your head and going like, well, what the show wants Seggy to realize is he needs to change this sort of goody choo-choo, goody choo-choo. Why did I say goody choo-choo? goody two shoes altru- <laughs> altruistic kind of um you know do the right thing at all costs because it's the right thing sort of um idea like he needs to change that because it's not the right way to, to happiness but but i think uh, based on this episode 
I think it is right to say, like, okay, so Segi hasn't really changed. Um, but what needs to change is not, like, what he's doing, but, like, why he's doing it. And Yeah, him. it's like it, yeah, it's like I said with the desire line from Richard that I thought was really, really interested. The intent is pure. It's the execution that is problematic. And indeed, if even execution should happen at all in case-by-case basis. Yeah, he needs to, like, kind of exercise some some agency morally and be like well what what do i think is really right and wrong and like figure that out and then do it because you're committed to those principles for whatever reasons you decide to be committed to them and you know living life and making moral choices because you don't want to disappoint other people um that will make you pretty unhappy i think Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Segi's unhappiness is a result of that. It's not a result of him wanting to help people and, and you know, sacrifice uh, to help people. I think that, just like Richard does, I think that that's good. But where does that come from, and, and why are you doing it? And, you know, once those principles are figured out, like, then we may see changes in the external behavior, but we may not. Um mm. But whatever the case, I think once he grows up in that way, I think he'll be a happier person. Yeah, um, I agree. And funnily enough, you mentioned about agency, like the side plot we've seen of him with Tanimoto. Like he's the one who's been dragging his heels when he really should just fucking ask her out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can sympathize. It's not the easiest thing to ask a lady out. But at the same time, you know, read, it ties the, it- read the fucking room. I, exactly, exactly. Like, you know, read the room, Segi. I think she might be into you. She might want the rocks that you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was very, very bad of me. I, I apologize. Uh, what is, you know, I don't, Richard, I'm having a tough time. Does she really like me? Well, why would you think that she liked you, Segi? Well, I've got this note in my wallet she sent me. Will you be my boyfriend? Check yes or no. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> I really don't know, though. What does this mean? <laughs> you would be so fucking confused by that. God. I, my God, like... She, I no, love you. you know, I love Segi. Uh, That's she why would I hold, care so much. <laughs> she would hold his hand and he would say, why are you doing this? Are you trying to measure my skin temperature? Are you trying to exchange <laughs> proceed strands with me? <laughs> God almighty. What a poor bastard he is. But he's our poor bastard. He is. He is. He's a lovely poor bastard. Um, uh, I I think a thing we can take away from this episode is that when Richard crosses his legs, he's fucking serious. That was my favorite cu- scene. Cus- cusps his hands together as well. <laughs> like I laughed out loud. I had to pause the player. There's a scene like when he's been casually talking with. I th- I think it's Simpai. Um, it could be someone else in the shot, but like it sort of like pans up and you get sort of a shot from the floor of him sitting there and then he crosses his legs and then like you said steeples his hands maybe and then it's like oh yeah it is on and then he really launches into it like that I died <laughs> like that's when it's, you it's know like he it's like he starts it's like he's about to start like you know laying out you know a super secret like evil society's plan like <laughs> yes. he's a bond villain in fact Richard would be a bond villain maybe that's where he makes all his money. This is the second time we've put him in the James Bond franchise. 
I, mean, I could see him as a villain. Um, I could see him, as I said, as as the guy who shows up to help James Bond and says, Mr. Bond, welcome to Tangier. <laughs> like, oh, man. <laughs> I could see either way. He takes we, off we have a glove. contact for you in Sri Lanka, 007. <laughs> yes, exactly. uh, his, his name is Richard de Varash. I can't pronounce his name. I do apologize. Oh, that's okay, Q. You're just getting old and senile. <laughs> Oh, God. You'll notice him because he's impossibly handsome. Yes. And he never changes suits. Also, if he's talking to you and crosses his legs, watch out. He's about to he's about to go for the jugular. <laughs> that's right. That's that's like the warning sign. Like, you know, that's the telegraph uh, attack, if you will, in a video game. And the last thing I have since we covered a lot of the stuff at the end of the episode is that um I just wrote Jag in uh, big letters <laughs> like we see the green jaguar and um it's amazing it has three windshield wipers that's look look you know you have ascended to the upper crust of society when your car has three windshield wipers i hope to have a car one day with three windshield wipers I hope to have a car. It's a status <laughs> let's, just, let's, just get, let's just get to the, you know, that baseline. Hell, get me on. I'll just get a motorbike instead. Like, I've been contemplating riding one. Get uh, the segue from Guilty Crown. And um, Why? You... Why? Why do you torture me thus? I don't want to look like a complete twat. <laughs> he looks cool as shit. What are you talking about? No, I'm kidding. I can't. I can't you you nearly choked that. on your own lies. Then, if you'd have kept going, you absolutely would have just had like your throat seize up, and you would have just been there yes. gasping on the floor. Yes. Yeah. Fuck's sake, dog. Any any more, and your nose would have grown so hard it would have, like you know blasted through the fucking monitor. What this fire opal I'm holding is fading out fast. I don't know why. <laughs> why is that happening? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what happens when anyone talks, you know, like positively about guilty. Oh, <laughs> anyway anyway um that's yeah, everything um, i have about this mm. episode and i thought it was great yeah i i again think like you know that i still prefer some of the other episodes um particularly the ones that seem to be more about like societal expectations and whatnot although i will grant you um this is again something that is a little lost in translation just because i didn't grow up in japan but i would be remiss if i didn't mention like it's easy to dismiss the word senpai as just like, you know, something that, you know, the cute women say to, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, notice me. Right, please. right, right, right. But it really does, I think, have, at least as I understand it, a lot more power in Japan in terms of peer relationships. So I, I imagine some people might be a little lost on this, like, you know, in the episode, like, why does he feel so strongly for this guy? And yes, there is the backstory of the karate tournament and all that. But again, that, that's more the fault of the show being very abridged, in my opinion. I wish this had been more fleshed out. But I think it's something just to keep in mind that maybe, you know, like for all that you and I, sure, no doubt, you know, we've had people who've come in and out of our lives and then returned again, and they are different people than we remember, and that can be for good or for bad. But I yeah. think that in this case, it's, it's key to remember that it's a stronger sentiment because of that word, rather than just dismissing it as something that we're, you know, familiar with as a Western audience, as I say, half jestingly, half true, that it's just a refrain, like, you know, like, please. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'm glad you brought this point up, actually. Um, and we'll, we'll be able to tell who's listened to the end of the podcast if they, uh, if they act like I didn't bring this up. We have been really hard on uh, Hase Senpai 
uh, up mm. to this point. And from my point of view, it's been fair. But thinking now about how previous episodes have emphasized obligations and expectations put on by various societal structures and how they like mm-hmm. pressure people. You know, perhaps there is something to say that, um, you know, he as the oldest son of this family who's and his parents aren't able to take care of him themselves. Maybe there's just a power there that I don't fully grasp of familial obligation. Like he has to be the one to take care of his sister and his parents. Like, it has to be him, and he feels the weight of it so strongly that he will make these horrible choices for their sake, and perhaps that we're supposed to sympathize with him more and not see him as just a garden-variety sleazebag. Yeah. You know, now that you mentioned that, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that that kind of eldest uh, sibling, you know, looking after family members in distress or who are otherwise incap- incapable of looking after themselves— that is part of weathering uh, with you, you know, um, which everyone loves. And I really, really liked as well. So I can't be a hypocrite and say, you know, I'm okay with it there, particularly when the behavior of, you know, Hina in that film, like, you know, they're arguably potentially conning people at various points and there is some criminal activity going on here and there. It comes from a good place, though, that intention of looking after the family. It's just, as you say, how you go about it that is important. And this, again, is... And, like, back the, to the strength of it. Yeah. Like... It is a deep, deep-seated thing in the mm-hmm. DNA of, of, of that culture, um, much more so than it is where I'm from, for sure. Mm. Yeah, I hear you on that. And I think, you know, the key problem with the way it happens in the show, though, versus, say, Weathering With You, is I think it's also a function once again of the show being very abridged i mean it's been noted to us by uh okk one of our uh patrons who's been invaluable in giving us extra yep. insights this show granted we don't have the specific context of this yet but it has been noted there's a scene apparently that is omitted from this story arc that was in the novel but is not in the anime that is very key now Everything shock, of, we, shock of shocks, right? I know, shock <laughs> of shocks. I mean, you and I don't like, we've covered this anime now for five episodes, and I don't think any of them actually felt, how shall we say, incomplete. It's not like, you know, uh-huh. a car that's missing a wheel and therefore can't drive, but it's missing a lot of the bodywork, if you will. It's missing, it's a, missing lot of the, a cup holder. It's <laughs> missing hold my yeah, own Diet Coke. My hand. Where, where, the hell, where the hell's that little stubby cigarette lighter attachment? Come on. I have to just have it sitting between my legs like I'm some kind of barbarian. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that, you know, they fun- yeah, all the episodes have functioned, and they function really well. I mean, I'm not saying that they're just simply satisfactory. I think they've been good to great. But I do also feel a kind of sense of sadness that they're not better, because there's very clearly the additional material necessary to make that so, and for a variety of reasons, they're too depressing to think about. They just didn't make it into the show proper, which is a real shame. I, again, must say, how the flying fuck do you have a show like a book show Sherlock that's just dog shit and is <laughs> two seasons long and a show like this that actually is trying to say something meaningful only gets a single core? Fuck's sake. God, the anime industry is a fucking dickhole. I, I'm, <laughs> Sherlock makes money, I guess. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, like, well, like, like, like Jula Richards, Jula Richards says, though, wealth ain't worth shit if it's not got meaning. So how about that? (laughs) It's true, though. It's true. 
I'm sorry, you cut out. I didn't hear what you said. Well, it's, it's like I was saying, though. Like, it's like, it's like this uh, show says, though, Jula Richard, wealth don't mean shit if it ain't backs up with meaning. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I have no, there's, there is no logic in this place, Shadon. I have no. nothing for you. <laughs> no. No. But yeah, overall, I, I really liked this episode. I think the closing scene with Sagi and Richard in the car was very, very strong. Um, yep. One thing I forgot to mention, by the way, I love the subtle nod of like the weather clearing up as Sagi's mood improves. Uh, only lingers on it very briefly, mind you. It doesn't like go all in on yeah, like, God Yeah, I didn't even notice it. Shit. It, 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 it that subtle. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't linger out with like God rays and shit, but it is there. So that's neat. And I would also be remiss, like, we need to close the ep- we need to close the discussion now on this point. I would be remiss if I didn't mention something that was also omitted from the novel. Okay. Which is amazing for a variety of reasons, which is that in the novel, when Sagi starts crying, Richard on his car radio or CD stereo or whatever you'll call it, starts playing Finish Death Metal. <laughs> I seriously. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're so in the book, yes. The words and Richard turned to the Finnish death metal station yes. on his Something's satellite radio. Yes, yes, <laughs> oh that's God. a thing, and that's incredible. And the best part of that is right. If you want to know like how how awesome that is, I mean, I I loved Finnish death metal in generally anyway. Like, give me some calmer any day. That's all good shit. But the reason he's doing that is because. He says, say, hey, you cry as much as you want while this is on, so I don't have to hear you because you don't want to be embarrassed by, you know, letting loose. Which I think is really huh. sweet. Is it? <laughs> I know. I'm not saying that Rich is embarrassed for him to be crying, but rather I'm saying that Sagi himself is embarrassed, like, at that. No, 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 no. I, no, I hear you. I just, like... Maybe I misrepresented it here. I don't know. I've, no, I've no, I get... The... I totally get... I, I get... Um... I understand. I totally um, see the reading that you're doing is valid. I can also sort of see Richard saying that, but in his head, he's like, "And this way, I won't have to hear you crying." <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> he does say, "Pull yourself together" in this one, but he I, does. I mean, yeah. To be fair, though, that's a fair. I don't think that's an unreasonable sentiment. Like you know, just uh, it depends on how you say it. Yeah, and in the context of everything we've seen up to this point of the character. I feel like that is, um, like, he can be um, cold, but in a good-natured way, if that makes sense. Clinical. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's just his way. That is the way he knows how to be. But, like, by looking at his body language, I feel, and tone of voice, it was communicated to me that that was said in the warmest possible sense. Yes, I would agree. So, on the note of finished death metal, um, yeah. we'll we'll conclude finish now. Podcast. So we, we will finish this podcast for today. Uh, I feel like I should put on Calma just to see this one out, but never mind. I don't I don't want to anger the YouTube copyright gods. Anyway, uh, to those of you listening at home, or wherever you may be catching this, thank you very much for joining us for Jeweler Richard Episode 5. Always good to have you and engaging with it. I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, again, if you happen to be catching this in the wild, do check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash warriordesho, or feel free to engage with us elsewhere if you want to, for example, you know, subscribe to us on, say, SoundCloud or Anchor, or any other service where you may be catching this. Spotify? Uh, doc- Spotify? Yes, go through this as Spotify. The wow, Spotify? Wow. Oh, yes. Um, so, Doc, where can people find you on the Tinsnets? Spotify? You're on Spotify, are you? Well, that's <laughs> I'm not on... No. Well, I am. 
on this podcast. Uh, at Subtle Doctor. I sorry, no, wait, that would be wrong. Um, I forgot the definite article there. At the Subtle Doctor. Yeah, the, don't accept any invitations, folks. Like, you know, Doc is Doc, Doc and there ain't and there ain't no one like him. I can assess that. Thank goodness as for, for me, you all. As for me, you can find me at Shaden Sentel on Twitter. Feel free to hit me up about this show or any other sort of anime-related nonsense. Uh, as long as it's not about Guilty Crown, I've said my piece on that. You can go listen to it. I have nothing more to add other than what a... F- yeah, never mind. I'll not go there because I don't <laughs> want to make this podcast another hour long. <laughs> anyway, to everyone uh, listening to us now, thank you very much again for joining us. I hope you all have a great time wherever you are. We will see you next week for Julia Richard episode six, the midpoint of the show's run, no less. Oh my. Um, wow. I'm hoping to get more Tanimoso in because we, there was a distinct like absence for her throughout much yeah. of this episode's run, which was a real shame. I need my fix. You know, it's you like when you start getting resi- drug resistance, you know, like because you just you have too much of it. But I need to have more to get my hit. But anyway, we'll be back then. So until next time, as we're always very fond of saying on this podcast, embrace your everyone to the ends of the universe. Good night. Good night. Good night.